Welcome in to Words with Wallace. I'm your host, Nick Wallace. Coming at you, it is Sunday, July 23rd. Um, what's up, guys? I know, again, welcome to the Dog Days of Summer, part two. Uh, again, not much has gone on in the NBA world since the last time we spoke last week. Again, no real update on the Dame situation. No real update on the Jalen Brown situation. No real update on the James Harden situation, uh, which brings us to today, right? I hope you guys enjoyed the point guard uh, top 10 point guard list from last week. Um, seemed like the uh, – did get some feedback. Looks like the, the real format. Uh, did pretty well where I kind of posted a quick 60-second short video uh, giving my top 10, posted that all over social media. The big takeaway from that, I just wanted to quickly share the feedback that I got, uh, was that the Kyrie Hive is still alive and well. Not to, not that I was super surprised with that. Um, of course, if you know the real Hurts with Wallace listeners know that I mentioned Kyrie in the honorable mention, just kind of mentioned his inconsistency, that Luka was kind of the point guard on that team. Um, and so I didn't have Kyrie on my top 10 list, but like, you know, the handful of comments that I did get on, whether it be YouTube or Instagram, whatever, where people, you know, kind of shit on me just because I didn't have Kyrie on the list. I had some some person say that Kyrie was better than nearly everybody on that list. So, you know, maybe he hasn't watched a game since 2015 to, to still have that opinion. But whatever, man, it was cool. Hopefully this will be a fun series that continues to generate more feedback from you guys. Um, so definitely let me know what you think of the last episode and let me know what you think of what we have today. Which, of course, as you can tell in the title of the podcast, is ranking the top 10 shooting guards in the NBA. So, um, again, sticking with the same format here, just kind of going through, uh, in my opinion, the top 10 shooting guards in the NBA next season. Again, just going to do a quick disclaimer. This is, of course, A, my opinion. B, this is, again, just based on the players that I would want on my team in the 2023-2024 NBA season. It is not taking into account, you know, trade value of these players. It's not taking into account age or anything like that. It's not a legacy award. Um, just focused on next season. Um, so now that that's all clear again, this is the shooting guard position, right? So I'm pretty certain when I say this is going to be the weakest tier, li uh, tier list that we do um, with this series. Reason being is that I think for the next couple that I do, just to give a quick look ahead, I'll probably just do like ranking like the top 10 wings in the NBA and then a final fourth tier list on ranking the top 10 big men in the NBA. Just because, as you guys know, we are in an era that is moving away from, you know, the standard five positions in an NBA game, right? It's, you know, even the shooting guard position, it, it can be, you know, pretty loosely defined, right? Like I, I just kind of think of most players as guards you know wings or bigs but i i did kind of pigeonhole myself by by making you know the last list exclusively focused on the point guard position so i did just want to do a, a quick disclaimer this is the shooting guard position right so a couple of names that for example a lot of people might ask about that i did not include on the list are guys like Jalen Brown, of course, someone near and dear to my heart. He obviously, he's played the shooting guard position before, uh, but he did just make an all-NBA team. I think it was all-NBA third team for the the forward position. Or actually, he was the sec a second team all-NBA, I believe, at the forward position, right? So um, he did play mostly forward with, with the Celtics running like Derek White, Malcolm Brogdon, Marcus Smart, two of those guys basically at all times last season. Um, so again, Jalen Brown, not eligible for this list. Paul George, another guy that's played shooting guard from time to time over the years, basically impossible to, to really judge what position he is when you look at the Clippers lineups, because they never had like the same lineup for more than like 10 games last season because that, you know, everybody's so injury prone. So, uh, Paul George talent wise would definitely be on the list. 
you know, win healthy, but I did not have him on here because I think of him, again, as more of a wing. You'll probably see him on the next tier list. Uh, and same thing with DeMar DeRozan. Um, again, he does have a teammate uh, on this list. Quick uh, quick uh, foreshadowing there, right? But uh, DeMar DeRozan, I did consider him a wing, so he is not on this list as well. So let's get into it, man. Shooting guards in the NBA should be a relatively quick podcast by my standards. Let's see if we can keep this under 30 minutes. But um, with that, a, a couple quick honorable mentions. Again, this is the weakest tier list far and away, right? The first honorable mention that came to mind, if, if you even want to mention it, is Jordan Poole, right? Uh, obviously recently traded from the Golden State Warriors to the Washington Wizards. We all watched his meltdown on a national stage uh, last season in the playoffs. But that being said, he's still a really talented scorer. He's going to put up insane numbers for Washington this upcoming season, right? He will be the, the definition of a good stats, bad team guy uh, in Washington next season. Maybe he'll even have it, you know, if, if Washington is kind of frisky and competitive, he could, you know, sneaky backdoor his way into like an, an all-star reserve or something like that at the guard position. Who knows? Uh, but Jordan Poole, you know, on mention I guess um, as well as Tyler Harrow right a guy that I would I'd probably rather have Harrow than than pool on my team right but he was obviously banged up for the entirety of, of the Heat's playoff run right he got hurt in literally the first game of the playoffs for the Miami Heat so he was not a part of that finals run but that's not to say he isn't super talented right he was the second best offensive player for the Heat last season right a really talented shooter and scorer you know, he's just not going to bring much in the defensive end, really the same thing as Jordan Poole. And we just haven't really seen it from him uh, for long enough. Obviously, he did have some success early on when he was a part of that bubble team. He made some big shots, right? Uh, but that being said, we just haven't seen it, you know, him put it together for a full series, uh, full season and playoff run for Tyler Harrow. But he would be an honorable mention on this list. So uh, with that being said, let's get into the top 10 shooting guards in the NBA next season. At number 10, I have DeJounte Murray of the Atlanta Hawks. Okay, so again, this is the weakest tier list. I'm going to say that one more time here. But DeJounte, uh, you know, statistically last season did put up 21 points, 5 rebounds, 6 assists on 46% shooting from the field and 34% shooting from 3. Again, just kind of giving you the regular season statistics from last season for all these guys. Just for a little bit of context, again, mostly basing it off of, you know, my opinions from watching these guys on league pass most of last season. Uh, but DeJounte... You know, kind of a tricky person to rank, right? Obviously, the first season with him on the Hawks, he was in San Antonio for the first few years of his career there. You know, did take a big leap, you know, statistically from where he was at previous seasons, right? Um, he was an all-star his last year with San Antonio, I believe, um, because of, of like a reserve situation there. But nonetheless, it was, you know, pretty interesting to see him play alongside a guy in Trey Young, who we just talked about last episode, right? It did kind of feel like they never really hit their stride as far as the chemistry between the two of them, right? Like they did, you know, the coaching staff for Atlanta did try to stagger the minutes of Murray and Trey Young to always have one of them kind of running the offense and running the show. So in a lot of ways, he's not a traditional shooting guard, but you know, that being said, I do like his game for the most part off the court. Seems to have a lot going on there. Not the biggest uh, DeJounte Murray fan personally. Uh, he does. He is pretty arrogant on the court, right? He did some pretty disrespe uh, disrespectful shit against the Celtics that I didn't forget. Maybe I'm just a you know, little butthurt that that series went on two games too long. But that being said, you know, defensively, he might even be the best defensive player on this list, which is saying something, right? A lot of the, the players we're going to be talking about are shoot first, score first players, right? Uh, you know, he's he's six foot five, but he's got an insane like six foot ten, maybe even seven foot wingspan on Murray. You know, he's insane playing passing lanes, right? He's really pesky. He comes up with a lot of steals. Uh, I don't think he's like a traditional like on ball lockdown defender, but that being said, he does contribute on, on a high level and, you know, tries to make up for some of the defic deficiencies that Trey Young has on defense. So, you know, I like DeJounte. He's not a traditional shooting guard, but but I do think he's he's the best option for number 10 at this list here. Uh, moving on 
Number nine, this is where I had Bradley Beal, right? Uh, you know, last season, statistically for Washington, he put up 23 points a game, four rebounds, five assists on 51% shooting from the floor, which was pretty great, as well as 37% shooting from three. Again, I've talked about Bradley Beal a while ago when he got traded to Phoenix, right? Uh, you know, he, of course, you know, has kind of the stigma of being an elite three-point shooter when, you know, career-wise, he's, he's well under 40% from three, so I wouldn't call him elite, but... Obviously, a super talented sto scorer. He's just not doing it at the same level that we saw a couple years ago where he was north of 30 points per game for Washington. Again, another player in the, you know, good you know good stats, bad team type of guy, right? Like, who else was taking the shots in Washington along with, with Beal? It was probably guys like Kuzma and Porzingis. But that being said, we just haven't seen Bradley Beal play meaningful basketball in a long time, right? Not since him and John Wall, that, that Wizards team, went up against the Celtics like a while ago in like, what was that, 2016, 2017, something like that. So... Obviously, we're going to see him on a lot big, much bigger stage this upcoming season with Phoenix, right? Presumably, they're going to be one of the top teams in the Western Conference. So, you know, defensively, he doesn't provide a ton for you, right? Um, you know, but he is still a hell of a scorer, hell of a spot-up shooter. And honestly, we'll probably set, see those percentages, especially from three-point, jump up quite a bit because, again, he's going to be a tertiary or third option on the Phoenix Suns next season, playing alongside Devin Booker and Kevin Durant. So, number nine, that's where I had Bradley Beal. Again... Moving up to number eight on this list, this is where I had Zach Levine. So very similar to a guy in Bradley Beal, right? I feel like Zach Levine is super slept on because, you know, poor Chicago, man. They're trying to be competitive, and they're, they're really just – they weren't, right? They missed um, – they became within a few minutes of actually beating the Heat in the play-in tournament in the Eastern Conference last year. That would have put them at the eight seed, so they at least would have had – you know, a playoff appearance, which would have made them pretty relevant, right? I know they made the playoffs the previous season, but they are kind of headed toward that purgatory phase with obviously the injury of Lonzo Ball. But um, that being said, Zach Levine is still a hell of a player. I think he's very similar to Bradley Beal, where, again, good stats, bad team, right? You know, statistically, 25 points a game, five rebounds, four assists, 49% shooting from the field and 38% shooting from deep. Um, Zach Levine aesthetically is one of my favorite players to watch play basketball, right? The guy is beyond smooth. He is silky smooth. Like his jump shot is perfect. His movement on the court, his ball handling. Uh, it is really incredible when you think about the career of Zach Levine, right? You know, he got drafted by the Timberwolves out of UCLA and he was honestly one of the most raw prospects I uh, could even remember, right? I think he averaged like less than 10 points a game at UCLA and he was still a lottery pick that ended up with the Timberwolves. And I was just like, man, like, what is it about this guy? And it's it's the athleticism that really jumped off the screen for him at, um, as far as the college tape. And then you look at him now, and, and obviously, you know, scouts know what they're doing uh, when you see a guy like Zach Levine because he is one of the smoothest players in the entire NBA. You know, defensively, he's probably improved a little bit, right? Um, he is a guy to kind of put on the posters because of, of how fun he is to watch. Uh, but that being said, if he's your best player, you know, where does he where does that get you, right? Uh, I do think he is a little bit more talented than, than uh, Bradley Beal at this point in his career and probably gives you a little bit more defensively as well. Um, so that's why I had him, you know, right next to Bradley Beal at number eight, just one spot higher. He's a little bit younger. Um, so I do like Zach Levine, but unfortunately, you know, with the injuries in Chicago, we'll see if they end up playing meaningful basketball this upcoming season. Uh, moving on to number seven, and again, you know, this is mostly just ranking the top 10 players, um, you know, or the top 10 shooting guards in the entire NBA, right? But I did want to kind of mention where there would be a tier break, and this is kind of where I had the first tier break, right? DeJounte Murray, Bradley Beal, Zach Levine are in kind of that fourth tier of shooting guard, we'll say. Uh, but as we jump up to number seven, it is a pretty big tier jump, and this is where I had Desmond Bain. Uh, again, of the Memphis Grizzlies, Desmond Bain at number seven on my list. 22 points a game last season, five rebounds, four assists, 
48% shooting from the field and 41% from three. Um, so yeah, Desmond Bain just got a mega bag. He got the maximum rookie contract extension from the Memphis Grizzlies. And if you guys remember a couple podcasts ago, I didn't, I didn't necessarily love it. Like I'm not going to totally bash Memphis on that decision, right? Like, you know, again, you do what you have to do to avoid assets walking for nothing. And again, with the adjusted salary cap and CBA and all that stuff, right, it seems like the middle class of the NBA is getting smaller and smaller. So it's really difficult to pay a guy like a lot of money. He's definitely worthy of a lot of money, you know, $150 million plus. But is he, you know, $200 million plus? It's like, I don't know. He's If it was up to me and you're just assigning a figure to him, he's probably somewhere in the middle. But you know, you just don't really see deals like that get done if, if teams value homegrown talent, which Desmond Bain is, right? He, he seems to be an awesome guy that, that Memphis is really happy to have on the team. He's obviously an incredible three-point shooter. Um, I just, he's he's a, a good number two, right? That's kind of the, the tier that we're in here is our, our really solid number two players. But if you ever want to win a championship, I'd say he'd probably definitely have to be your third best player, right? He'd have to be alongside, you know, a really special pe player at the peak of their powers to eventually win a title. And again, not trying to disparage Desmond Bain here. It's just really hard to win titles in the NBA. Um, so Desmond Bain, um, I like him. He's a good scorer, good second option on offense. He's a good complement to how he can space the floor because, again, Job does kind of lack um, a three-point, a, a very consistent three-point jump shot, we'll say, at this point in his career. So um, there is a good balance there. It's just kind of a small backcourt. Uh, but I like Desmond Bain. Just don't know if he was necessarily worthy of that maximum contract he received. Um, and so that's kind of where I had him at number seven. Uh, moving on to number six, again, kind of that same third tier of shooting guards that were in here. At number six, I had Tyrese Maxey. And again, the name of this tier is really solid number two players. And in a perfect world, they're your number three. Now, depending on what happens with James Harden, Maxey could be either of those, right? He could be kind of like a tertiary third option for the Philadelphia 76ers next season. Or he could make the leap if they end up do move, if they end up moving James Harden, you know, to his desired location in the Clippers or really on any other team, right? Maxi is going to be, in all likelihood, the second option on the Sixers next season in that scenario. And I think he's ready for it. I'm a big Tyrese Maxi guy. It's obviously, I think many people would find it controversial. I'm putting him above Desmond Bain, but I just I just really value what he brings to a team. And I like what he, I think what he could do in a, in a higher usage role uh, is going to be really impressive. Um, Tyrese Maxi statistically last season, 20 points a game. Three rebounds, four assists on 48% shooting from the field, but 43% shooting from deep. I mean, that's incredible. Like, again, I, I know Tyrese, I, I feel like when I watch him play, I feel like I never see him miss from three. And there are games where he gets blindingly hot and scores 20 points in a quarter. I felt like that happened a lot for uh, Sixers fans out there that watched him closely. Uh, but 43% is staggering. It's the highest uh, regular season uh, three-point shooting field goal percentage or three-point shooting percentage on this list of, of all the guys we're going to mention, he statistically was the best three-point shooter last season, which is pretty impressive. Obviously, surpassing a guy in, in Desmond Bain that you probably would think um, would have that title, right? Uh, but that being said, I just, I love what Maxi does, right? He's a little undersized to be like a traditional two. But, you know, that being said, he's lightning in a bottle. He can create his own shot. He's, he's obviously money from downtown. Um, like, like, nobody can really stay in front of the guy, even attacking the basket. So, again, I think, you know, it makes sense that you would kind of run, have you know, Harden run the offense, orchestrated, hit and beat in stride. But if you need more of a traditional scoring option from the outside to complement what Joel Embiid does, I could see, you know, Tyrese Maxey, if they get rid of James Harden, I'd be shocked if he was anywhere under 25 points per game next season for Philadelphia. So I am projecting a little bit by putting him above Bain, putting him at number six on this list, but I feel pretty good about it. I am definitely a big fan of Tyrese Maxey. 
moving on to number five, and, and this is tough, right? Again, all these guys are kind of in the same tier, and um, I, I don't mean for this to be like a lifetime achievement award by putting this guy at number five, but I, I do think it was deserved. This is where I had Clay Thompson, still a top five shooting guard in the NBA, in my opinion. Um, statistically for Clay, we could probably guess what it looks like, but just for those that might not know it off the top of their head, 22 points a game last season for the Warriors. Four rebounds, just two assists per game for Clay. Not much playmaking from Clay, as we've seen over the course of his career. Uh, shooting 44% from the field and 41% from three-point range. You know, what's tough about Clay is, is it, needless to say, he's declined a pretty significant amount the past couple years, right? Going through some major, major injuries within the past, you know, three, four years at this point. Uh, but he bounced back in a big way. Like, again, as I, you know, talked about, you know, when I talked about the Warriors leading into the playoffs and even through, um, like, the first round of the playoffs, I was like, you know, there's a lot of question marks surrounding this team, right? Uh, but really none of them were about Klay Thompson, right? Like, he was back in a pretty big way. Um, for the Warriors last season, there was just a lot of uncertainty about, you know, so what they were going to get from some of their younger guys. You know, obviously, Andrew Wiggins was, like, MIA for, like, over a month there to close a regular season. But Clay was pretty consistent. Now, the unfortunate thing is that defensively, he's just not even close to the same guy that he was, you know, when he was in his prime, you know, around 2015, 2016. Um, you guys know the drill there. He is just more of a traditional spot-up option and obviously a, a truly elite three-point shooter that can, you know, is the leading candidate to score, you know, 25 you know, 20 plus points in a quarter. Clay definitely takes the cake of the players that we're going to talk about on this list. And, you know, he's been in a lot of big games. Now, obviously, he was pretty disappointing against the Lakers in the playoffs. And um, even in, even you know, it, during their, their finals run the previous season or their title run the previous season, right? Like, you know, it was really due to the excellence of Curry, right? Like, I, I never was super impressed with Clay. Uh, but that being said, I'll give him some of the benefit of the doubt. He was coming off of a massive, massive injury uh, the previous season. But, I, again, just because of the pedigree there, he has four championships. He's been in a, a ton of games. And he is still a, a better defender than, you know, basically everybody we've mentioned previously on this list besides DeJounte Murray. So um, I think for what Clay gives you, I don't think many people would push back putting him at five. And I do think that there's a, a massive tear jump coming up that we're going to dive into here. Moving on to number four on this list. And this is where we really, you know, it really ticks up a bit. The three next guys that we're going to name are extremely close. And I actually just went back and forth a ton even ranking these guys because I think it's that close between our number two, three, and four on this list. Uh, but these are, are truly elite shooting guards in the NBA. I don't think there should be a huge debate for one. But these guys are still really, really elite. And at number four, this is where I had Anthony Edwards. And now, it does kind of stink kind of slotting him last of, of this, you know, three-man tier that I have here because I love Anthony Edwards. But that being said, good luck finding any anybody that doesn't love Anthony Edwards, right? He is one of the most likable guys in the entire NBA. Uh, you know, statistically last season made a, a really big leap. You know, 25 points per game, uh, six rebounds, four assists, 46% from the field, and 37% shooting from three. Um, you know, it's it's obviously he's a young guy. He's a former number one overall pick in the draft. That was his third season, I want to say. Um, but you can just kind of look at his stats and see how much he's improved in every single category, every single year. He's only going to continue to get better. So, again, it wouldn't even surprise me if Anthony Edwards was number one on this list at, at this time next season. Um, but that being said, you know, he hasn't played in a ton of playoff games. We obviously saw them get uh, bounced by Denver in the first round this past year. They did steal a game, which is a huge accomplishment, uh, you could argue, considering the fact that Denver only lost four games that entire playoff run. And one of those losses was, of course, to the Timberwolves. And in that game specifically, 
specifically, Anthony Edwards was incredible. He had one of the best shots of the entire playoffs, right? He, he drilled, you know, basically a 30-footer to, to give the Timberwolves a win uh, in a game that was back and forth. And I believe that one was in overtime as well. Uh, but Anthony Edwards is it's a definition of a dog, man. What I love about him is that he always plays games, right? He's an incredible character off the court. If you've seen Hustle, fantastic movie, right? If you've seen any sort of press or podcast podcast appearance from Anthony Edwards, he never fails to, uh, you know, really steal the show, uh, you know, really make everybody laugh. He's just the perfect textbook figure of, of a, you know, what you would want in your in your franchise player, right? A dude that plays in, in every game, loves being out there, clearly is passionate about the game of basketball and is as charismatic as it gets. Um, obviously, I, I know I'm, I'm defaulting to talking about him off the court because I just like him so much. But on the court, he's fantastic as well, right? Um, you know, the way he's built at six foot five, you, you he looks even bigger than that, right? Even on your TV, he kind of just jumps off the screen because of his athleticism, because of how wide and strong that he is. He has incredible, incredible two way potential, right? Certainly higher. Uh, certainly better two-way potential than, you know, any of the guys above him on this list. And, you know, for that reason, you can make the argument that he is the best defender in the top four, that he should be a little bit higher. But I do kind of want to see him take a further leap in that category next season. I think he's getting better. Obviously, he has a, an all-defensive team candidate alongside him and Jaden uh, McDaniels, who oftentimes takes, like, the best defender on the other team. So Ant's kind of dealing with the secondary playmaker there. But I do think he's qualified to be a truly elite defender in the NBA. You know, his jump shot's coming along, and he can just get anywhere he wants on the courts at any time because he is, you know, in a league full of elite athletes, he is still stands out because of his athleticism. That's how special that he is. Um, love Anthony Edwards. It was obviously tough having him at four, but I think he's, you know, it's well-deserving uh, spot for Ant there. Moving on to number three, again, this was super, super close. This is where I had Donovan Mitchell of the Cleveland Cavaliers, right? Donovan Mitchell obviously um, had a you know pretty successful first season in Cleveland individually anyway, right? Uh, after being traded from the Utah Jazz as they kind of tore it all down and were obviously rebuilding at this time last year. Statistically for Donovan Mitchell, for uh, Spida, if you will, kind of a cheesy nickname, but whatever, 28 points per game, four rebounds, four assists. 48% shooting from the field and 39% shooting in deep uh, from deep. Obviously, he completes that backcourt with Darius Garland, a guy that I'm also super high on. Uh, what sucks about Donovan Mitchell, and not to start off with the negative here, but obviously he was super disappointing in that first-round playoff series against the Knicks in which the Cavs came up short. Obviously, I thought it was going to go the other way because I am a big fan of Donovan Mitchell, right? I thought he was going to, you know, really impress against the Knicks because there were so many rumors that, you know, the Knicks might be the ones to pull the trigger and eventually trade for Donovan Mitchell, which, of course, didn't end up happening. That being said, you know, Donovan Mitchell's been around a lot, right? He's He's been in a lot of playoff games like Utah. You know, for what it was worth, I know that they always seem to disappoint with the, you know, the pairing of Mitchell and Gobert. But, you know, Mitchell was really young at that point in his career. It's hard to be the best player on a playoff team your first couple years in the league, but Donovan Mitchell was one of those unique cases where he was that, and that obviously continued uh, to being, on, again, on a young Cleveland team here, uh, where Donovan Mitchell was clearly the best player. He did disappoint in that series, but he has had big playoff moments. He was fantastic in the bubble. He was, you know, even even in, in years where Utah got bounced, again, I don't think that was the fault of Donovan Mitchell, uh, but an explosive, explosive score, right? You know, only six foot one, but again, plays a lot bigger than that with his wingspan, what he's able to provide. You know, again, again, like Ant, he has some defensive upside, but he's he's not nearly as good of a defender as he should be because, you know, again, he's a high usage guy on the other end of the court. Had a 70-point game this past season. I'm just really high on him, and I just do think that we've had a bigger sample size with Donovan Mitchell being a high-level player um, than Anthony Edwards at this point in his career. Uh, but again, very elite. I think it would be tough to obviously win a championship with Donovan Mitchell as your best player, but if he's your number two, you'd be in a really, really good spot. 
And moving on to number two on my list, this is where I had Shea Gilgis Alexander of the Oklahoma City Thunder. Now, obviously the Thunder ended up falling short to the Timberwolves in the play-in tournament, so they did not play any meaningful basketball in the playoffs this past year. But the Thunder were so competitive this season, so much more competitive than anybody really thought, and it was due to the massive leap that Shea Gilgis Alexander took. He was second, I want to say, in, in the running for the most improved player. He came up short behind Laurie Markkinen, which, again, I think was well-deserved. But Shea had an incredible season for the Thunder this past year. 31 points per game, 5 rebounds, 6 assists, 51% shooting from the field. Again, 51% shooting from the field for an entire season for a guard. That is absolutely insane. 35% shooting from 3, which isn't a bad number. I just... I point that out because he actually only had 2.5 attempts from three this past season. Like, what I love about Shea is it's the fact that he was averaging 31 points per game. I think that was second in the entire NBA behind only Embiid, right? It is absolutely insane the way that he is able to accumulate those points. He absolutely lives around the basket. He can get to the lane. The angles that he takes driving to the basket, it, it reminds me a little bit of Luka, right? Like, he plays at his own pace. He's definitely more explosive than Luka and, and definitely not as strong at the same time. But he just seems to just, you know, never be bothered, never be hurried, and just gets to where he needs to go at all times. Uh, and he lives at the free throw line as well, which is really fantastic. I want to say he led the, you know, he, he might have led the entire league at free throws. He definitely leads all the candidates on this list. He just made an absolutely massive leap for the Thunder. And again, I know that they did not play in the playoffs. But if you look at that team, how undersized they were in virtually every game, right? Obviously, they were a team that was missing Chet Holmgren for the the entirety of the season he was the number two pick in the draft standing at seven feet tall just bringing him in the mix next season uh with obviously guys like case and wallace that they got in the draft and uh, i'm sure they made some other moves in free agency i'm just not thinking about it this time the thunder are going to be a lot more competitive next season so again the only knock you could say on shea is like what has he really done in the playoffs well again he's he's the reason that this team is ahead of schedule with how competitive they are and he is going to be the centerpiece of this team for a very long time um, I, again, there were, there were actually rumors the past couple of years that Oklahoma City might look to move him just because, again, they have so much draft capital over the next several years that, like, you know, does he really fit the timeline of it? Like, at that point, he's going to be a little bit older than the rest of the guys. It's like, dude, they would be nuts to move on from a guy like Shea Gilchrist Alexander. I think he was so good this past season that it, it, it obviously quieted some of those rumors. He's fantastic. He's you know, again, a little bit under the radar just because of the market that he plays in, but I think he will be definitely a household name by the end of next season if he isn't one already. Moving on, number one on my list, he is in his own tier. You know, I think he's pretty similar to some of the guys that we just named talent-wise, but I just, the pedigree of him, what we've seen from him in the playoffs, I have to put him at number one and in his own tier. This is where I have Devin Booker. Um, I've never been a Devin Booker guy for the most part, um, really until this last playoffs, right? Again, I know... Maybe that's dumb. Maybe that's naive of me. Maybe I just wasn't watching closely enough. Uh, but watching Devin Booker, I know they only made it to the second round uh, in the playoffs this past year was was a, a game-changing experience for me as a fan. Um, statistically, during the regular season for the Phoenix Suns last year, he had 28 points per uh, 28 points per game, five rebounds, six assists. 49% shooting from the field and 35% shooting from three. Again, he has such a pretty jump shot. And it, in my mind, I feel like that number should be a little bit higher than just 35% from three. Uh, but that being said, in the playoffs, he was unbelievable. Again, they beat the Clippers in the first round. They took Denver to six games. Again, they were the only team to, to steal two games on Denver during their entire postseason run. Um, he averaged 34 points per game in the playoffs on 59% shooting from the field and 51% shooting from three. Like, that dude simply didn't miss. 
the entire playoffs. And it, it felt like that, right? Like there were some stats where he had made like 35 of his, like his last like 40 attempts from the field. And, my, and let me just remind you again, he was just getting baskets all over the court. Very high degree of difficulty shots he was taking, right? Like this isn't a center that 35 dunks over his last 40 attempts, right? Like, you know, moving jumpers, right? Like jumpers off of screens, spot up jumpers. Like, you know, it was really just him and Kevin Durant taking turns getting ISO looks for the most part. And they were able to steal two games from Denver, far and away the best team in the league last season because of how they were just absolutely unguardable. And Booker was actually even better than Durant in that series, right? It was it was truly unbelievable. Now, again, he's been a shooting guard his entire career. He's, he's played, obviously, alongside of Chris Paul the past couple years. But that being said, he, he was known to kind of run and orchestrate the offense for Phoenix when they were pretty rough before they got Chris Paul. And it, it does seem like we're going to be headed in that direction again. Um, obviously, with Chris Paul moving on to the Golden State Warriors, they acquired Bradley Beal. So I do think he might be the on paper point guard for the Suns next season but that being said he's been an off-ball guard most of his career at this point in time so I, I felt pretty comfortable putting him on the shooting guard list but he was unbelievable, right? Obviously, he was really impressive in their run um, to the finals against the Milwaukee Bucks in the 2021 playoffs, right? He was probably the best player on that team. Um, depends on really who you ask, because Chris Paul was really fantastic. But the fact Phoenix looked like they were going to actually win an NBA title with Devin Booker being right there as one of the best players on the team, that is something that obviously none of the other guys in this list have come even close to, right? I guess you could say Clay, but he was second or third best player on, the, on those Golden State Warriors teams, and it wasn't even really close. That being said, I, I love Devin Booker. The sky's the limit. I love watching the guy play. He's an incredible shooter. He's an incredible scorer um, and just has a larger sample size of success than some of the other names on this list. And that just about does it for our top 10 shooting guards in the NBA heading into the 2023-2024 NBA season. At number 10, we had DeJounte Murray. Number nine, we had Bradley Beal. Number eight, we had Zach Levine. I would put all those guys in kind of the tier four of shooting guards. Kind of good stats, bad team type of guys, but... Um, still all-star level talents nonetheless. Um, at number seven, we have Desmond Bain. Number six, Tyrese Maxey. Number five, Clay Thompson. I would put those guys in the third best player kind of tier right there. Probably in a little bit of trouble if those guys are the second best player on your team, but that is kind of the third tier of shooting guards. At number four, we had Anthony Edwards. Number three, Donovan Mitchell. Number two, Shea Gilgis-Alexander. Um, I would put this as basically an elite tier of shooting guards right there. And then finally, at number one, we had Devin Booker, overall the best shooting guard in the NBA. Probably the only guy on this list that, as of right now, I'd, I'd be confident in saying you could win a championship with him as the best player on your team. It would be tough, and a lot of things would have to go right. But Devin Booker is that talented. So that is our top 10 shooting guards in the NBA heading into next season. Relatively short podcast for my standards. I know I am a one-man show, but you guys know I love to talk and hit 45 minutes, 50 minutes, 60 minutes on my own sometimes, but we are in the middle of July here. I, I, I should probably only get you guys 30 minutes at most, or I'm probably doing too much, but... That being said, thank you guys for listening, of course. Uh, like I talked about earlier in the podcast here, I am hoping to get you guys the top 10 wings in the NBA uh, for my next podcast, if everything goes as scheduled, uh, ranking the top 10 wings in the NBA. Again, the reason I didn't have guys like Jalen Brown, Paul George, DeMar DeRozan is I am considering them wings or forwards, if you will, right? So they were not eligible for this list, but talent-wise, they, they definitely would have been ahead of a few guys on this list. So wanted to mention that one more time. Uh, but that being said, I am going to let you guys go here. Before I do, be sure to follow at Words with Wallace on everything. Um, Spotify, Apple Music, wherever you get your podcasts, as well as YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Uh, be sure to follow the show, share the show, tell a friend, all that good stuff. And I will talk to you guys next week. Peace.